0: On this episode of AV Week, Avixa says retail's not dead. In fact, it has a lot of potential for pro AV integrators. Looking at everything as a service and future-proofing your next AV design. All that and more, next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry.
1: What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is this AV, AV Nation. Nation. This is AV Nation.
0: This is AV Week, Episode 350, recorded Friday, May 11th, 2018, as a service. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Extron Electronics
1: and by
2: BiAmp.
0: This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news, and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss that very thing, the news and information. First and foremost, his name is Brad Grimes, and he works for a small little organization called Avixa. How are you, sir? Good, Tim. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, also with us, uh, due north of me in Peoria, Illinois, uh, from IAS, his name is Jeremy Caldera. Welcome, sir. Welcome to me, too, and to <laughs> Mike, and to everyone. Well, yes, and the last person is Mike Shin from Varex out uh, out east. How are you, brother?
1: I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me again, Tim.
0: And just so it's been said, I said this before we got on the air, I'll say it now. I'm fearing, feeling very follically challenged if you're not watching the video. All three of these gentlemen have facial hair and I, at 43 years old, still can't get a whisker anywhere
3: hey, on my you can face. Try, Tim.
0: You can try, I can try, but you know, I don't know. Rogaine, do, we, do they make Rogaine for your face? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Anyhow, here we go. Uh, First and foremost, uh, the first story up is actually from from our website, it was a a nice press release from from Avixa, a brand new uh, report saying that the Pro AV is thriving in the retail uh, environment. Quote, unquote, contrary to popular belief, retail is healthy, reaching approximately 5.1 trillion in revenue in 2017 and growing 4% annually for the past eight years. Brad, I want to start with you on this because, uh, first of all, it's it, it, you report, um, about a year and a half, about six months ago, six or seven months ago, back in September when you switched from Infocom to Avixa, literally that week you hired uh, a new hire, Sean Wargo, uh, your, your um, director of, of uh, research and, and surveys. You guys have been doing a lot more of these, it feels like at least, and I haven't done a, a qualitative ana- quantitative analysis between last year and this year. It feels like you're doing more of these surveys, more of these reports. In addition, you're, you're reaching out more to other organizations. We've talked about that a couple of times on this show. But this one in particular was very interesting in, in tying in the opportunities that the pro AV community has in, in retail specifically. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what the driving force was in looking at retail specifically?
2: Yeah, so, um, so Sean Wargo, as you noted, is our new uh, senior director of market intelligence. And, you know, he was brought in to, uh, to really overhaul everything we do um, research wise uh, because the board handed down um, at the beginning of the strategic plan uh, a strategic initiative to really, uh, you know, beef up our market intelligence offerings. Uh, and we, you know, we had a huge study come out last year, which was a, which was a big sort of market uh, sizing study. And, but what we've what we never really been able to do was um, study the pull through. So we're, we're able to study the supply side, but we haven't really studied the, the demand side. And really trying to understand what the markets that our members work in, what they're looking for, how they approach technology decisions, what types of solutions they're looking for. So this retail report, um, uh, it's the, uh, what was it called? It's, it's more, it stands for the Market Opportunity Analysis Report, it's the first in this series, basically. There'll be retail, there'll be corporate, there'll be hospitality and a few others this year. Um, and what Sean's team is doing is they're going all the way to the end customer. So this you know this research report starts from trying to understand what actual shoppers, if you will, are looking for in their retail experiences and to be clear when you know when we say retail is, is still thriving that it, it's total retail it's it's you know it's Amazon it's everything else and I don't think anybody would disagree that people continue to buy things um, the, the you know the aspect of retail that is frequently cited as, as struggling is the brick and mortar uh, with malls closing down and, and whatnot um, now only 10% of retail is really going through the online place, uh, channel anyway. Um, so there's, there remains an opportunity to create, you know, retail experiences, if you will, um, where, uh, you know, more and more retailers are using audiovisual technology to, you know, create destinations to, to give people a reason to get off their couches get away from their keyboards and go into stores. And it's not just a shop. I mean, there are these, uh, you know you can go into a Nike store now and you can actually pretend you're on a basketball court in a different city or something like that, and it's all done through through AV. Um, so there are good opportunities there. What, what the study found was that um, and this is through uh, surveying you know our members, our channel, is that you know maybe half of, of the integrators were really involved, I mean really involved in the in the retail channel and and considered it one of their key markets. Um, so there's an opportunity there if we can illuminate for our membership the opportunities and 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 the ways that retailers approach these technology decisions. Um, so we'll see that in a lot of different verticals through these reports.
0: And Jeremy, talking about that, you know, Brad mentioned the fact that that only half of the VIXA membership was involved in retail. When you're when you're looking at jobs like this, how do you get in there? I mean, I, I've asked this question a thousand times, I think, on this program. How do you get into a specific? Uh, vertical. This is another one where they're they're talking about well over a trillion dollars. If if ten percent is only uh, online, then you still have hundreds of billions of dollars available. You know, in, obviously in, in raw not raw dollars. But getting in there and, and getting either ingratiated with the property owners or maybe the architect. What what have you found is the kind of the, the best way of getting into you know big projects like this?
3: Well, for us, I've I've told my sales team, I want you guys to focus on the smaller mom and pop shops, right? I mean, with, with the cost of technology coming down, uh, people can afford this kind of stuff more. I mean, I, it, when you're talking digital signage or anything with retail, you know, a lot of it comes down to content creation. We've talked about that before, you know, and, and we've been successful so far in partnering with some local content creation type companies, web development companies that are more getting into this kind of stuff. Um, and those mom and pop shops, those are really easy to walk into. You can cold call them. You can do whatever you want to do and you'll get to the right people, right? I mean, it's not the best way to sell, everybody says, but it works. It's really hard for companies like us because we're not the large, you know, hundred million dollar integration companies that have these key strategic partnerships. You know, we can't get into those large franchise opportunities, you know, the McDonald's, the, you know, whatever, pick, choose your store, right. Walmart, whatever it is, they're going to have their own teams, their own people that are all, you know, I've already developed all this stuff and they have it down uh, to an art. Um, what we can do is we can just find those smaller regional type places and uh, just, you know, knock on the door. Right. And that's the best way to do it. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I, I we focus a little bit of marketing on our side on, on the retail end of that. Um, and we're just, it's as simple as handing out some, some pamphlets or just uh, making network connections at local chamber events or whatever it is. Um, but that's for us. I mean, like you said, a lot of those businesses are small businesses. So that's the best way to get in.
0: Yeah, absolutely, uh, Mr. Shen. From from a uh, either I'm not going to say across the pond, but taking a, a report like this, which obviously is focusing on the U.S., how do you guys take from from a Veric standpoint? You know, uh, you guys are a, you know global, and in, in fact is, this is kind of what you do is you, you handle some of the global accounts. Taking what a, a client or a customer, you know, in, in New Jersey, maybe maybe they have a store and they want to open one somewhere else. How do you guys kind of you know take that? Uh, footprint and that that um, uh, design and paste it into a a, a foreign or a non U.S. based location.
1: So as we know, um, in Europe and uh, all of EMEA, um, as well as the Asia Pacific regions, uh, there are different standards for audiovisual uh, installations. Um, what we have seen is if a company is based, um, if a retail space is based in the New Jersey region, the New York region, for example, um, and they want to open up in say Munich, Germany, um, most of the time they want complete consistency across the board. And most of the time, the people that will be managing any of the technology in that location uh, is going to be based in the headquarters. Uh, so we do keep to a US standard with our implementations uh, in that regard. However, there are times when you run into the uh, the request by the local office to use uh, their local um, uh, tendencies or preferences um, for design, uh, in which case we just try and, and do our best, and this is where our professional services come in and, and our value add uh, to, to merge uh, the original design into
0: what the local uh, technology requirements are. How how do you have that conversation? Is that something where you let the corporate headquarters lead uh, because it's, it's their folks who are having that internal conversation and and that internal debate, let's be frank. uh, And you, you just kind of step back and say, okay, y'all, you know, you guys kind of decide what to do and then we'll implement it from there or do you take part in that conversation in any way, shape or form?
1: No if anything, we lead that conversation okay. uh, and and we, we try and not dictate um, in any way shape or form uh, what what we think is the best solution, but instead uh, kind of manage the conversation amongst the different parties in the different offices uh, to uh, to make sure that the functionality is going to remain the same um, and understand you know what perspective all parties are coming from as to why there would be a specific brand change uh, for the same functionality. Nine times out of ten, uh, it ends up with whoever originated the uh, the request and wherever the headquarters is. That's the standard we end up following, uh, which is great news for us because at least it's something we already know that we've we've deployed successfully uh, that we can support remotely. Um, but it, it also allows us uh, the opportunity to learn about um, a lot of the strategic growth of that organization and uh, really helps to build our pipeline.
0: All right, very good. Uh, all right, guys, our next story comes to us from uh, AV Interactive with AV Magazine, but adbinteractive.com is their website. Uh, Microsoft is launching, uh, Microsoft partner, JSRT, is launching a what they're calling a mixed reality as a service. Uh, What they're doing is they're providing the Microsoft HoloLens as well as uh, access to a number of of different um, software packages as a service for their clients. Read a quote here quote unquote users will be able to include additional subscription to apps and software from Vizard, Asoria, Console 3D, Diota, HoloForge, um, Immersion, Nomadic, Plain Concepts, Synergize. Uh, tactile and Theoris, uh, Jeremy. I want to start with you on this. The, the headline is what caught me: the the mixed reality as a service. And the, the my the first uh, thought I had, and the first question I had, I actually want to lead with: what can't be as a service at this stage of the game? Uh, we've we've mentioned you know software as a service for years. The term AV as a service has been out there for a number of years, and there have been a number of, of really smart people kind of saying this is this is the way you need to go as an integrator but what can't be a service at this stage of the game
3: i don't know that there is anything that can't be a service right i mean you can ideally package up anything and and throw a managed service offering with it or a service plan or whatever you want to do to, to kind of just blend it um you know to me i always said that the whole as a service model for av was just glorified rebranding of leasing right Uh, I mean to the extent it's it it is almost like that, but and if you think of it from that terms I mean realistically if you're just doing that and then you're bundling a a service package of some kind whether that's remote managed services or whatever you could In theory do anything as a service this whole mixed reality as a service I mean I I, I found the AV as a service thing has been very challenging for a lot of my clients because most of them say oh That's a great idea, but we're just gonna put that under capital funds right and so and I, I kind of understand where they're coming from when they explain it to me because we're talking about stuff that, you know, is integral to a, to a room when it's just wiring through walls, it's conduit. It's all this other stuff that has to go together. Something like this mixed reality as a service makes a little bit more sense to me, you know, selling that as a service, because I mean, that technology, even though our technology does progress, that's going to progress even faster, you know, so you're going to want to get those upgrades. You're going to want to get that, you know, additional stuff that, that we talk about in the AV world, but you know, it's it's harder to implement.
0: Mike, you're, you're, you're sitting here shaking your head at, at as Jeremy's talking about, you know, it's difficult sometimes for clients to kind of wrap their head around AV as a service. Are you still fighting that? Oh, absolutely. Um, getting, getting clients to understand,
1: uh, AV as a service is a big challenge. Um, the idea of, purchasing a 100 I'm just picking numbers yeah. but a $100,000 system and paying for it over the course of 5 years with a lease to buy option at the end uh, you know is is not something that most corporate organizations at least um, are interested in really talking about because that means OPEX spend, that means annual costs that they need to uh, keep, keep in line and they need to drive the revenue uh, in order to fund that on an annual basis, which is unpredictable. Uh, whereas with capital expenditures, um, they, are, they know that they have the money from profits from years past to be able to make that kind of reinvestment in their organization, so it's a whole lot easier uh, for them to, uh, to just take a whole system and uh, and do it as a capex. Um, however, uh, you know, AV as a service in general, uh, you know, is growing, and our offerings are growing. But a lot of it's related to labor and support, not necessarily towards hardware purchasing.
0: Okay, all right, uh, Brad. I want to bring you in as, as we wrapped up this this subject. Uh, not only just from a, an Evixa standpoint, but also not for nothing. But Brad's been a a longtime industry uh, um, editor and, and reporter when you when we've talked we started talking about this and this has been over 10 years ago that we started talking about av as a service have you heard what what jeremy and, and michael have been saying as, from his from the integrator standpoint um or, or are you hearing more that it's it you know folks are still making you know doing this you know successfully uh,
2: no I, I i echo what jeremy and michael say i mean it's it's a, it's, a, it's a it's a we're at the beginning really of being able to package market and and make understandable AV as a service. There's a lot of opportunity there and it's being successfully executed in, in the IT, uh, you know, market. And, you know, they're just, they're just a lot further along um, AV as a enterprise technology is comparatively new to a lot of these t- decision makers. Um, you know, it's not something that they always had their radar It was a, it was a nice to have rather than, I mean, UCC is only recently comparatively, relatively recently become a mission critical enterprise system. So um, those types of solutions are, are really just hitting the radar of, you know, CIO staffs or technology management staff or enterprise decision making staff. Um, so it'll take a little time, but there's a lot of opportunity there. And um, I, I don't think that any uh, AV company should should necessarily give up on it at any time soon that, you know, you know, fine tune their offerings, figuring out what their customers would be willing to uh, purchase on a service basis and and continue to try to get that message out. All right. Very good. If I I can, Tim,
1: just one more comment. Um, In the IT space, Brad, uh, as you just brought up, a lot of those, um, You know, uh, IT as a service, um, hardware purchases that are uh, coming out of the OpEx spend is really driven by the manufacturer. It's not so much driven by the distributor or the person that you're buying the equipment through. Um, Whereas in our industry, we're not seeing that the manufacturers are really offering that in the first place, other than perhaps a particular video conferencing company, uh, but again, they're driving that, they're funding that, uh, so the burden on the integrator and the, uh, the distributor is much more limited. Um, I think that's part of the gap as to why uh, in IT we see so much more of this than with, uh, with general AV. Well,
0: it, it, real quickly, Mike, are, 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 is that video conferencing manufacturer, are they driving it directly to the client, or are they driving it through the integrator? Yes. Okay. So,
1: so it depends. Um, most of the time, it is directly to the end user uh, and to the client. Uh, but there are times where they will partner with an integrator uh, in order to make that happen.
0: Where at in the sales process? I guess that's where I'm asking: Where at in the sales process do they bring you? Maybe do they lead with you? Like you, are, you are with no, them at no, the no, tip no, of no, the sp- no, okay?
1: No, 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 no. The client, the client will refer to us as their preferred partner. Uh, for, there we go. For, for AV and that's how we end up in that conversation uh, with, with said
0: manufacturer. Okay. All right. Very good. Uh, last story here comes from our buddies over at Commercial Integrator. Uh, Meyer Sound helped out a Philharmonic in Cologne, Germany uh, using the Leopard Line Arrays to quote unquote future proof diverse bookings at that concert hall. Uh, Mr. Shin, we'll start with you on this. Simple question. In this day and age, and Jeremy mentioned this when it comes to our technology, how it's constantly changing and evolving, how do you future-proof a design? No such thing. Okay. There there is absolutely no
1: such thing. I've been hearing the term future-proof since uh, 1366 by 768. Wow! <laughs> and and what what, wow. is, and, and what, it, what is what is the current resolution? No, you know what? I'm going to take it back one more. Ten twenty four by seven sixty eight. So so how do you future proof innovation? How do you future proof? Uh, New technology. Um, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when I started in this industry, we were at uh, a very base level that we thought was an extremely high capability for DSP, for displays. And over time, we have seen the development and the growth of AVB, of uh, Dante, of, uh, you know, 4K displays. How do you future proof against something like that?
0: Yeah, uh, Brad. When when Mike made mention the, the, of of four K, I I'll ask the same thing: is is how do you future proof? But in this day and age, when a couple of years ago, folks started. You know, I remember the first Sony display, a phone, Sony projector in four K. Uh, the a couple of manufacturers were using it at Infocom training that I had probably three or four years ago now. And you know, we had seen eight K displays at a couple of trade shows here in the last six months. I'm not kidding. Sharp is already is, is already showing them. So, how do you future-proof, or can you?
2: Well, this will be very short too. Just like Mike <laughs> said, you can't. I mean, that, yeah, that's, and I don't. And if if the editor or the uh, the person who spoke the words, you know, were were challenged to it, it's not really what they mean. To me, what's interesting about this story is a venue is totally pumping up their um, in-house audio system, which we hear a lot more of. Is you know, venues, especially for concerts and things like that. Um, you know, a lot of touring companies bring their own stuff, and a lot of venues are, you know, trying to be more rider friendly. They're, they're they're trying to have mm. far more robust um, in-house audio systems that, you know, a variety of live acts or conferences or anything can can plug into and have the most optimal uh, audio experience. That's sort of what I took from this. Um, but yeah, my. I think Mike's exactly right. I mean, there's it's it's not something you can really do, and we can't see, you know, three down, three years down the road, much less you know, way into the future.
0: No, Uh, actually, Jeremy, I I wanted to end with you on this because what Brad just said about about being the writer friendly. uh, Jeremy helped a uh, local institution there kind of do that very thing uh, there in Peoria, where there are acts that come there and they specifically go there without a whole lot of of gear. So how do you how do you help a venue? Uh, like Brad said become writer friendly. Well, I
3: mean everybody's writers are all over the board, but if you can but find just in general That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, you <laughs> yeah. Find that commonality, right uh, it, it can be done. I mean the whole future-proofing thing is kind of a joke, especially And I mean no offense to anybody in the article, but it's we're talking about speakers, right? I mean speaker technology has changed but not changed that much, right? I mean, not like display technology. Now, maybe the transmission method that we get the, you know, signal from point A to point B, you know, like like Mike talked about when we've got AVB, we've got Dante, we've got all the stuff that we've seen in progression. But still, how do you future-proof that? You, you, you don't, right? As long as your systems are capable of producing X amount of dB and got this certain frequency spectrum on the audio side and the right mixing console to accommodate inputs and outputs and You know, you can be as writer, you can, you can be generalized and writer friendly. I think all that stuff's kind of negotiable from that standpoint. I mean, I'm not, I don't do too much live stuff, so we're not that, you know, familiar with dealing with that. But I mean, as far as like the permanent install systems, it's, I don't think it's that difficult. It's fine in the, it's fine in the venues that will make that investment. That's the challenge, right? Because they still just rely
0: on, on those touring companies to bring that stuff in. Yeah, absolutely. And they just have a base system and then the input availability to Mm kind of jack in. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right, guys, that'll that'll kind of do it. Uh, Mr. Grimes, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Uh, how do people find you, or Avixa, or the Infocom show, which comes up in just a few weeks?
2: Oh my God! Well, if you're not following Infocom on Twitter, it's at Infocom. That's where all the updates on the show. I and mean, the show's is what three weeks away, so uh, it's coming up in a hurry. We look forward to seeing everybody there. I'm at B Grimes DC on Twitter and Avixa. Yes,
0: that's your handle.
2: <laughs> Sometimes I have to remind myself where I am mean on Twitter.
0: Uh, all right. Uh, Mr. Caldera, thank you, sir.
3: Uh, no problem. Glad to be here.
0: And how do people find you or IAS?
3: Uh, IAStechnology.net or uh, my Twitter is uh, at Jeremy underscore
0: Caldera. All right. Very good. And last but not least, Mr. Shen. thank you, sir, as always. Uh, Mr. Albright, thank you for having me. And how do people find you or Varex?
1: Uh, on Twitter at AXP Mike, that's A-X-P-M-I-K-E,
0: M I K E, and of course at Verix.com. All right, very good. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. Don't follow me uh, on the Twitters, but uh, go by the website if you would please, avnation.tv. AVNation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. Uh, a couple programming notes uh, this Thursday, so we're posting this on Monday, Thursday the 17th, Mr. Caldera, actually, and uh, uh, Mr. Josh Rego and uh, my buddy Eric Snyder from CTI will be joining me for a webinar, uh, probably our, our second webinar. And what we're doing is going over all of the various AV over IP technologies. Yes, I said all of them, uh, kind of going through them and uh, giving you a, pr- a primer uh, before you hit the Infocom show floor because you're going to be seeing all of them. And a lot of them uh, will be demonstrating uh, both their wares and others. So, kind of giving you a breakdown of, of what each of them are doing, uh, both from a spec standpoint as well as a performance standpoint. So, that comes, uh, comes your way uh, one o'clock Eastern on Thursday, May 17th. Also, uh, we mentioned the Infocom show. We'll be going to that as well. And we will be hosting our fifth annual uh, Aviation AV Tweet Up on Wednesday from 4 to 6 p.m. Uh it in our in our studio room. Uh N is in Nancy two seventeen. Uh Info Common that have been nice enough to give us a, a room for that. So N two seventeen, if you can come by, free food and drink, uh brought to you by Sterin, just come in, trade trade uh Business cards with folks and, and go on your way. Uh, we, we call it a walkthrough event for a reason. So uh, we understand that you have places to go during, uh, during the week of Infocom. So just come through, grab a drink, and, and say hey to folks if you would please. Uh, also, as you're, if, as you're on our website, go by our underwriter section. These are the folks that help you help us uh, bring you Infocom uh, coverage as well as AV Week. So all that and more at aviation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week.